It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined by the man we call every time we get into a crisis mode with democracy. It is Sean Eldridge, the founder and president of Stand Up America. Sean, thank you so much for being here this very, very important week. Good morning, first. Hello. Well, good morning. It's, it's great to be back on. I <laughs> like, uh, hope I'm I like, can I, uh, fulfill that duty. I'm like, I have Thank 50 you. questions. Thank you. We, um, we appreciate you. <laughs> so first, my first question is about the president's speech and the vice president's speeches yesterday in Georgia. In terms of the message, um, you know, it, it's not necessarily a question like, were you happy with what you heard? Um, but do you think it sort of sets up and lays out the fight ahead so that people understand the stakes um, and, and, you know, what what is at stake in, in terms of voting rights and access in this moment? Do you think that sort of it set up the fight that, you know, we're going to talk about undertaking this morning? I think it did. I mean, look, where we are at right now is that voting rights are under attack across the country. The House of Representatives has acted to pass federal voting rights legislation. The president and the vice president have forcefully weighed in. Uh, and now all that is left is for the Senate to act. And we were missing that middle piece before yesterday. We were missing, okay. I think, the urgency and the fire in the belly uh, from President Biden to, to get this done. And we were also missing from him an honest accounting of the path to passing this legislation. We were getting a lot of platitudes about how precious democracy is. But until yesterday, we weren't getting the honest truth, which is embracing the need for filibuster reform to pass these bills. So I, I thought it was a powerful speech, both for the American people to hear what's at stake, but hopefully also key members of the Senate Democratic Caucus, obviously, Senators Manchin and Cinema as well. I hope they were tuned in. So you feel like you actually got a little bit of that plan from the president that the activists were asking for before the speech? Look, all of us would have loved if he had gotten up there and said, we have a deal and <laughs> uh, Senators Manchin and Cinema have agreed to X filibuster reform. Uh, we are not quite there yet, but but I do think it's worth stepping back and saying, uh, as you guys were talking about earlier, we did not hear President Biden once last year forcefully call on yeah. the Senate to get this done and put the filibuster aside. And look, pre President Biden was in the Senate for more than three decades he is not excited about changing Senate rules. He's made that very clear. If he can come around on filibuster reform, if he can come around and acknowledge that what is at stake is our democracy, what is at stake is the freedom to vote. And as I think he artfully laid out, that the filibuster has changed and become even more weaponized to stop civil rights, to stop voting rights. If he can go on that journey and land on the time has come, we can't put the Jim Crow filibuster ahead of Americans' freedom to vote, then I, I believe that any senator can. Uh, and, and, you know, last summer, uh, President Biden and Senator Manchin were saying pretty similar things about the filibuster. Mm -hmm. I might support a talking filibuster. It plays an important role. So, you know, the optimist in me would hope that uh, Senator Manchin could go on a similar journey. How do you feel about the talking filibuster option? Like, I, half of me loves the idea of making 
Rand Paul and Josh Hawley stand up and explain why they don't want people to be able to feed and give water to people waiting on lines to vote. Like half of me loves that idea and half of it's like, no, no, no. Like, let's not give, let, why, why should we give them anything? Like, how do you feel about a retreat to the talking filibuster as opposed to doing away with the filibuster entirely when it comes to civil rights legislation? Does you feel like that would be enough to get the things done that we need to get done? Well, I think late is better than never and something is better than nothing. But okay. look, no, I, I this believe is, this is why we need you. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that I believe that the filibuster is an anti-democratic tool that's been used and abused to block progress, to block civil rights, to block voting rights. My belief and, and our belief at Stand Up America is it should go entirely. It is blocking not only voting rights, but gun safety legislation, yeah. raising the minimum wage and so much more. So, so my stance, and if I were in the United States Senate today, I would be forcefully arguing for uh, ending the filibuster. But where we're at today is Senator Manchin and Senator Cinema Senator have made it clear that they're not going to support uh, an outright end to the filibuster. So right. if they're not going to move on that, despite the over 100,000 phone calls we've driven to their offices and all the pressure we put on in the last year, if they're not going to agree to outright ending the filibuster, then where we are today is how can we get at least voting rights legislation done? And it seems like there are two ways we could do that with filibuster reform. One is some type of exception, a reform that is narrowly focused on on voting rights or perhaps on civil rights in particular. Um, and we would say, just like our senators did in December for raising the debt ceiling, mm -hmm. we could say in the case of something as important as the freedom to vote, we will require simple majority. Um, and they did that in December. They raised the debt ceiling. The sky didn't fall. <laughs> our economy <laughs> stayed intact. And uh, I didn't hear Senator Manchin complaining about that. Um, so they could do something narrow like that on voting rights. Or they could do what is a more complicated two-step where they move toward a talking filibuster, which both President Biden has supported in the past and Senator Manchin has publicly supported, where they actually require folks to hold the floor. Now, the question is, would that then be enough to pass voting rights at the end? I do think there's a way you could structure a talking filibuster where uh, everyone would have a chance to talk. Uh, I am not an expert in Senate rules, but I believe there is a two speech maximum that senators can make. Um, and you could structure it in a way where at the end of a debate, probably a long debate, you would get a simple majority vote at the end and then voting rights could pass. So what's kind of wild right now is I don't think they know which reform they're going to vote on in the next week. And I think that they are hashing that out and debating that within the caucus. Yeah. Okay, so there's something that's that started to be uh, floated. I want to I want to pivot a little bit to the ultimate voting rights package that we are looking at. Like, what pieces of the original for the People Act that was so strong and so good? And I remember having you on the show and talking about that when it was first introduced. We're we're not there anymore. Which pieces of that do you feel are most critical to shoring up our democracy? Like what when Schumer makes his announcement, hopefully today, about whatever they're they're looking at, what do you need to hear from him that's in there in order to feel confident that this is the right bill? Well, I love how much you all have been going back to money and politics and that that part <laughs> of this conversation has been um has been missing. So yes. that um I've been 
a long proponent of campaign finance reform. That's a lot of what we work on at Stand Up America. So we're going to have to come back to that fight. We had a $14 billion election in 2020. We have billions of dollars of, of secret corporate money floating around in our election. So that is a big problem. And just thanks to y'all for keeping that front and center. But when it comes to what I think they will vote on, my hope, my expectation is they will be voting on the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Uh, hopefully both in their entirety. And I think a lot of people are wondering, well, what is in the Freedom to Vote Act, right? The Freedom Mm -hmm. to Vote Act has three really important components. Um, One is how it would stop voter suppression in its tracks. And it would do that by creating national standards for voting access to clarify basic minimum rights that every American has to be able to vote, to be able to vote early, to be able to have the option to vote by mail, to be able to vote in person, and to be able to get registered without unreasonable barriers. So it would create those national standards. That's huge. That would stop the 34 voter suppression bills that passed in 19 states last year in their tracks. So there's that there's that national standard of voting rights piece. The second is stopping partisan gerrymandering, and it would make it a lot easier to challenge uh, gerrymandered partisan maps in the courts, which is extremely urgent because we are almost out of time in that fight uh, when it comes in particular to the House of Representatives. And then the third piece uh, that is also part of the Freedom to Vote Act is how do we stop these attempts to sabotage and subvert our election? Those attempts are growing as Republicans saw January 6th uh, as a dress rehearsal. And now they're going to state legislatures and seeing how they can undermine and sabotage elections in new ways. So the Freedom to Vote Act would make it much harder to fire election officials for no reason. It would make sure that we keep paper ballots and understand where votes are so that we can have real audits, not crazy, weird partisan audits after an election. And it would ensure that there's judicial review in the process of um, how the ballots are counted so that every American's vote is actually counted. So is are those three things, will that completely fix our democracy overnight? No. And there still would be more work to do. But those three components would go a long way, a long way to protecting voting rights in this country. Yeah. It feels to me like um, the fight that we're having is is multifaceted in the sense that, like, you know, there's a lot of gaslighting going on. I was talking <laughs> earlier about how, you know, Joe Manchin is talking about tradition. And again, you know, if you're old enough, like two weeks old, you're like tradition. Oh, we just like buck tradition to make sure that the debt ceiling was raised like rightfully so and that's great but don't talk to me about tradition when two weeks ago you got around the filibuster like two weeks ago it wasn't even like a month ago it was this year um (laughs) (laughs) well technically i think it was like the end of last year but um the point point being being. it was very very recently there's babies that that lived through that correct (laughs) um the baby I had in here last week with me was older <laughs> than right. the, the last <laughs> time the last we time got we around the filibuster. And that baby was one <laughs> month old. Um, but, you know, so so you sort of have the gaslighting. But then you also have um, real action happening on the state level. I mean, these state governments are moving things. Um, and, you know, a lot of this is moving on the state level while the federal government is just standing still. Um, do you get the sense that the fight ahead and, and you mentioned, you know, the amount of calls that we're making to lawmakers, but you know, does Joe Manchin, is he showing that he is persuaded by these calls? 
Are we calling him enough? Um, are there other senators we should be watching? Are we calling them enough? Um, because I feel like the gaslighting and that coupled with the fact that the states, they're moving. They're moving on these things. Um, you know, requires urgent action, which is like why we wanted to talk to you today, because um, I feel like Biden did lay, lay it out yesterday, but I don't know if it's too late. I hope not. I don't think so. Nothing's too late until it's over. But um, are we making enough calls? Is really the the through line. <laughs> well, yeah that that is a big question, and I I appreciate how you laid it out because I think the gaslighting is real. You know the the tradition, the real tradition is that there have been more than 161 exceptions to the filibuster since 1969. That's the tradition, and that when something is important enough to our senators, they find a way to get it done, um, and we have exceptions all over the place. Um, I also wish that every time uh, someone reported uh, Mitch McConnell's uh, attack on filibuster reform, I wish they would also then mention how he reformed the filibuster in 2017 to put three Trump Supreme Court nominees on the bench for life. Because uh, he certainly didn't. Yes, um, he did that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did that. Um, so uh, what will move Manchin and Cinema? I mean, I've had a lot of good conversations in the last couple of weeks with um, members of the Senate Democratic Caucus, including a number of the moderate members. My sense is this is really coming down to Senator Cinema and Senator Manchin. Um, I believe that the other Democrats are on board, even others who have been um, hesitant when it comes to filibuster reform. I think they understand the gravity of the threat to voting rights. And even if they're not on board with uh, completely eliminating the filibuster, it seems like we're at 48 out of 50 in the Democratic caucus for a reform focused on voting rights. Um, so I think what we are trying with Senators Manchin and Senator Cinema is everything. We have been showing <laughs> up in person. Uh, I, I believe earlier this week, you had my friend Ezra from Indivisible on and, yep. and we with we with Indivisible with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. the third and others are organizing in person uh, events and protests this coming weekend, Martin Luther King uh, Day weekend, to show up particularly in Arizona um, and elsewhere to apply pressure. Uh, we have driven over 100,000 phone calls to the Senate, and we are obviously particularly focused on Senators Manchin and Cinema. There is great on-the-ground organizing happening by uh, other organizations showing up in West Virginia, uh, making sure that we have a lot of different voices in this debate right now. You know, veterans in West Virginia talking about what they fought for um, and why they want Senator Manchin to lead. Um, we have business leaders out there talking about how uh, our economy and our democracy are inseparable and that this is important for our economy as well. So I think it's a full court press right now across the country. Um, our, our members at Stand Up America have submitted thousands of letters to the editor, to, to local newspapers, sometimes small community papers, to make the case in their community of what's at stake here. So I, I think we are, we are doing what we can as activists. And I think now it's going to come down to what does Joe Manchin and what does Kirsten Cinema? what do they want their legacy to be? Do they want their legacy to be that they tanked voting rights in a moment that was so critical for our democracy? Or do they want their legacy to be that they stood up for the freedom to vote? Uh, it, you know, it's really on them. I, I think this is the moment to make a call. We're not done yet. Um, and, you know, part of the strategy here has been one question I get is at Stand Up America, we've been driving calls to all Senate Democrats and we mm -hmm. haven't stopped. Even if you have an ally or a 
pretty progressive senator. We haven't stopped because part of our theory has been that senators talk to each other and they yes. pressure each other. And as I've talked to senators directly in the past couple of weeks, that seems to be really happening. Members of the caucus are pressuring each other. They're talking about the threat to voting rights in their state. They're talking by, about why this is important to them personally and important for our country. So that is happening. So right now, we have a few more days left in this fight, calling your senator, even if they're ready with us, um, and saying, please do everything in your power to get your colleagues on board. I think that is meaningful because uh, I've had senators be really proud to report back to me. I'm talking to Manchin. I'm talking to Cinema. I'm making the case for my state. Yeah. And that that's huge. Well, they need to know, like if they're going out on a limb, if they're saying to Joe Manchin, look, I, I personally need you to do this. Like this is important to me and my constituents. It will matter to, to my ability to hang on to this seat in addition to how important it is for democracy. Like if they're out on a limb like that with a colleague, they need to know that we're, we have them. Like we want them out there. We are holding the limb up. We care about this. Do whatever you need to do to make it happen. We have to tell our, our champions in the Senate that we have their back. And I think as, as activists, we sort of, we, we, we forget that piece of it sometimes. We assume that if they're a good vote, then that's okay. We're on the same page. We don't need to talk about it. Focus on cinema and mansion. But we also need to let those folks know that whatever they need to do to convince cinema and mansion, we have their backs. We want them to. We want them to take those risks. If you couldn't sense the the implicit marching orders in what Sean was saying, what he's saying is that his group at Stand Up America is going to be spending the next what, five days now, six days, five days, uh, doing everything they possibly can to bring this vote to bear. So if you are sitting at home fretting about the, <laughs> the course of democracy, I'm, I'm with you, um, go to Stand Up America and get involved, write a letter to the editor, make a phone call, join an in-person event in your area. There are so many ways to get active and this is the week to do it. So I just wanted to put like a very, very big pin on, uh, on on what you were saying there. Yeah, no, but thank I, you, Jess, because I think because I think if they, you know, if your senators don't hear anything, then that sends its own message, because even yeah. if someone is with us on an issue, the question is, how hard are they going to fight? Yes, how much are they exactly. going to prioritize it? And so there might be someone who, you know, uh, supports us, but they think, eh, but I don't actually believe my my constituents care that much about it. And so when we're lighting up the phones, when we're writing that letter to the editor, when we're showing up, then they realize, oh, the the enthusiasm here is is large and so i need to go in with that same enthusiasm when i'm in the senate democratic caucus meeting with my colleagues exactly exactly it is so very true okay so i wanted to ask you about something that we've been hearing um pop up a little bit more over the last few days which is electoral college reform this was the idea that um we could get Republicans on board to do this too. Um, it's it's a it's it's it has nothing to do with voter suppression. It's about whether or not the vice president is able to substitute their own electors for the ones that the states send them. I'm sitting here being like, I, I was pretty sure that we already we already litigated that and we won in 2020. Why would we focus on on that particular piece of reform? in lieu of anything else. Um, how do you feel when you hear this, look, we can get this bipartisan democracy reform piece done with this electoral college reform. Is it like, is it a nuisance or are you worried that people are gonna take their eye off the actual ball here? I, I think it's Lucy with the football and, and Lucy is mm -hmm. Mitch McConnell. Um, yeah. You know, with, so a lot of folks might be wondering, what are we talking about the electoral contact, right? So 
There is I want to reform to... the Electoral College. I hear that. <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh, you mean popular vote can win? Like, yes, do it. But like, no, right. that's not what they're talking about. <laughs> so I, I am not a lawyer. So Zerlina can correct me if I get anything wrong here. But, <laughs> but, but what happened in what happened in 2020 uh, and what happened in early 2021 is that um, the process for how Congress counts the electoral votes is not as clear as it should be. And so one thing that happened was that enabled uh, extreme Trump anti-democratic allies to make more trouble, uh, to contest the votes. And it put Mike Pence in this position where some lawyers were saying to him, throw the election to the House, which is insane and crazy and illegal and undemocratic and wrong. And some lawyers were saying, no, you have no choice. Just count the votes and that's it and preserve our democracy. Um, I think it would be a good thing if we clarified the Electoral Count Act and made it clear that Congress's role and the vice president's role is to count the Electoral College votes. And that's it so that we don't run into a situation in, in three years or five years or 15 years where that's unclear. But that is in no way, in no way a substitute for the Freedom to Vote Act or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. I think Senator Schumer put this really well when he was asked about it. That is about the Electoral Count Act is about how you're counting the final electoral votes after an election. But if the election itself was unfair, if the election itself suppressed the vote, then you've missed something big. You've missed the first step. So uh, look, in a perfect world, would I like to see the Electoral Count Act reform? Definitely. But that would not stop voter suppression. And this is a transparent attempt by Republicans to distract. These are the Senate Republicans who wouldn't even support a bipartisan commission to investigate the deadly insurrection on January 6th. They filibustered successfully a bipartisan commission to investigate January 6th. We're supposed to believe that those Senate mm -hmm. Republicans are going to suddenly wake up tomorrow and actually care about our democracy and do something in a bipartisan way. I don't believe it. Um, I think Senate Democrats need to focus on the Freedom to Vote Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And yes, I'd like to see them reform the Electoral Count Act as well. But this is a distraction. And I, I hope we all see through it. I think what we need to see is just what they're saying, which is their reasoning for, um, I mean, in the National Review, I think that's where like sort of the conservative ethos started. Um, and then you obviously had what Mitch McConnell said. But basically, their whole argument is we should reform this so that Democrats can't overturn our election win. And to your point about whether or not the votes are suppressed or whether or not on the state level there's some sort of subversion. Basically, what they're saying is we don't want anybody to be able to overturn our cheating, if that's the case. Mm -hmm. um, right. Like <laughs> if if we if we've done something nefarious, you know, in the actual election itself, we we don't want you to be able to overturn a Republican victory. So I think to your point about it being a distraction, it is one It's a distraction from the fact that the state level changes are the ones that are going to really affect the outcome. And this, the Electoral Reform Act, um, essentially will, will simply say, like, you can't overturn that. <laughs> It'll make it clearer that you, of uh, the ways in which you cannot overturn that. And maybe, um, I'm not saying that you, you want at that stage I think the Electoral Reform Act is good, as you said. You don't want at that stage, you know, the House of Representatives, whoever's in that um, chamber of Congress, to be like, we're going to overturn the will of the people. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that the problem with our democracy is a little bit deeper than the fact that you may have partisans in the House who want to say, like, 
Arizona, we didn't like the result there. That seemed fishy because that's supposed to be a red state and it turned blue. What's going on? You know, um, so can you speak to how the problem is it, it's it's deeper, right? It's 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 at the core of the democracy. It's not tinkering around the edges isn't going to get it done. Yeah, I mean, I, I worry that sometimes that we're wrapped up in um, a lot of the political tit for tat and how did Joe Manchin wake up feeling this morning? And and sometimes I think in the reporting, it gets lost what's at stake, right? The reality is we are truly seeing the worst voter suppression our country has seen in decades. Um, that's why a lot of folks are calling this Jim Crow 2.0. This is, this is not, this is not sort of some typical Republican antics that we have seen in, in, in recent years. This is, this is a coordinated sweeping attempt to look at how voters, particularly black and brown voters, cast their ballots in 2020, to look at drive-through voting and, and um, 24-7 voting in Texas and to stop it, to look at voting by mail and to make it harder, to look at the long lines and think about how can we make those worse. This is a coordinated attempt to look at the historic turnout we had in 2020 and to squash it and to see how they can silence black and brown voters and young voters and win elections in this undemocratic way at the same time as they then think about how to install election officials at the local and state level who may not count the votes in a valid way, who might uh, uh, go against what the will of the people in that state and that locality is. So this, this is a serious threat to our democracy. The Electoral Count Act certainly would not um, uh, answer it. The Freedom to Vote Act would. And the John Lewis Voting Rights Act you know, would make sure that future voter suppression measures can be stopped before they even begin, uh, which is what we had before the, the Supreme Court gutted the, the Voting Rights Act in 2013. Sean Eldridge, founder and president of Stand Up America. Thank you again for laying this all out for us. I hope everybody looks up uh, the organization and gets involved right now because we need you right now. Um, thank you for doing everything you do. It's always a joy to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for having when me. When circumstances suck. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Stay safe. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>